to the book of Genesis in chapter number 49. Genesis in chapter number 49. How many of you have been here every service so far? Amen. How many of you are tired? Flesh is tired. You know, when the flesh is tired, that means that we can't be dependent upon the flesh, but all we can be dependent upon is the Spirit of God. And I, and I pray this morning, my prayer has been all week, but my prayer definitely this morning is that uh, you've made the decisions that God has nudged your heart and just convicted you about making. And I've, I've made some decisions this week as I've spent time with the Lord. And I, uh, I just, uh, I, as Brother Andrew said a while ago, we sure do owe a great debt, amen. But as the Wolfram just saying. I'm glad that he paid a debt that he did not owe, and I owed a debt I could not pay, but I, I, I just want to live my life to bring honor and glory to God. And I, I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter number 49, and again, I'm going to stand before you, um, and I'm going to preach a, a message of warning to us, and we're going to use the Bible a whole lot. We're going to go through a lot of scripture this morning. I'm going to have you turn to quite a few places, um, but I want you to I want you to follow along. I believe the Lord can help us this morning if we've come to church uh, with an open heart and open mind. Let God just do something in our lives today. Genesis chapter number forty nine. Let's all stand as we take reverence to the reading of the Word of God. I appreciate those young men singing a little while ago. Amen. Appreciate that very much. What a blessing that was to my heart. Genesis chapter number forty nine. Verse number one, the Bible says, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, you sons of Jacob. And hearken unto Israel your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might. In the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we sure do love you, Lord, we sure do. Thank you, Lord, again, for first loving us. Thank you for saving us. Dear God, I thank you, Lord, for the good liberty, Lord, that you have given me thus far to preach to the folks here at Riverside Baptist Church. Lord, I understand as a guest preacher when I have liberty to preach behind another man's pulpit, it tells me that it's because that there's a man of God that stands behind this pulpit every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and preaches faithfully the Word of God, and therefore it gives this guest preacher and others liberty to preach. And Lord, I do come to you, Lord, and Lord, I, I, I do not want for one second <clears throat> to be dependent upon um, maybe a little bit of intellect or uh, a little bit of my... Uh, talent, dear God, I don't want to be dependent upon that whatsoever. Lord, I'm totally dependent upon 
the Spirit of God that lives inside of me to lead and to guide and to direct this service. Lord, I'd rather be seated this morning and Lord allow Brother Andrew or uh, Brother Marshall, Brother Wolfram, these other men of God, I'd rather them stand to preach the Word of God than not to have the power of God upon my life as I preach. Lord, uh, my voice is struggling a little bit, but Lord, you're in control of all that. Lord, I pray that you'd give me the voice, Lord, to be able to get across the message that, Lord, that you've laid on my heart to preach to these folks today. Lord, I pray that you would take over this service. I pray that you'd speak to hearts, Lord, like you can. And Lord, I pray, Lord, when the decision needs to be made, Lord, that uh, you may lay on hearts today. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be hesitant in making that decision. I pray, Lord, if it would just, if you would lay the decision on a heart, Lord, in the first five minutes of the message, or that we wouldn't wait to invitation time, we would just come and get it settled for that very moment. Lord, I pray, Lord, again, if there's one lost here today, I pray that you'd save them by the grace of God. And we'll thank you for it. In your precious name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Allow me to read Genesis chapter number 49, verse number 33 as well this morning. The Bible says, and when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. In the beginning of Genesis 49, you'll find that it's very evident to Jacob that he's at the end of his life. And in verse number 33, you'll find that Jacob, in fact, does die. In the earlier verses, he tells all of his sons to gather around so that he can give them his last words before he dies. He calls all 12 sons to come to his bedside, and he tells them what their name represents, and because of what they've done in the life that they've lived, what shall befall them in the last days? The first son that Jacob calls to him is none other than his firstborn, Reuben. And he tells him in verse number 3, he says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. The excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. And those are wonderful words from a father to his son. And Reuben could be a very proud man if those were the last words that great patriarch, Jacob, his father, said to him. But those were not the last words that Jacob said to Reuben. He goes on to tell Reuben, he says this, In verse number 4, he said, Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. He said, Reuben, he said, you're unstable as water. 
and thou shalt not excel. That word stable means not likely to change or fail. It means firmly established. Uh, David said, uh, oh God, my heart is fixed. The other meanings of the root word uh, unstable is stable. Uh, it means secure. It means solid. It means strong. It means steady. It means firm. It means sure. It means steadfast, unwavering, unfaltering. It means unfixed in my mind and in my heart. But Jacob's last words to his firstborn Reuben were, you're unstable. You are going to change. You are going to fall. You're not firmly established. You're not fixed. You're not strong. You're not sure. Reuben, you're not you're you're wavering. You're just unstable as water. Jacob also tells Reuben, because you're unstable, thou shalt not excel. That word excel means to surpass others or be superior in some respect or area. It means to do extremely well, to go further than others. To go places in life. But again, Jacob tells Reuben, Thou shalt not excel. You're not going to surpass others. You're not going to do well. You're not going to go anywhere, Reuben. Reuben, because you're unstable, because you're not fixed, because you're not firmly established, because you're not steady, Jacob tells him, you're not going to excel. You're not going to do well. You're not going to go anywhere in life, Reuben. You understand the consequences of being unstable in life are, you're not going to go anywhere in life. You're not going to exceed. You're just going to tread water. You're just going to stay in the same old rut the rest of the days of your life. I don't know about you, but I sure wouldn't want these to be the last words that were said about me. I won't go into detail anymore this week as I already have, but as much as I hate to admit it, although my dad may have used different words, that's exactly what my dad told me in, the past, in, in my past. My dad would say, son, you're not going to go anywhere living this life. You're unstable. You're just going to tread water. You're going down a dead-end road. And I ask you tonight, or this morning, is it said about you that you're unstable? Can I ask you this morning, child of God, have you marked your line in the sand and you made your mind up? You're going to be stable, and you're going to excel for the things of God. Have we made our mind up this morning that we're not going to try to be popular with the world and be pleasing to its standards? We're going to try our dead level best to be pleasing to the Savior. Young people, can I say my plea to you this morning is to become stable, to become firmly established, to become fixed, 
to become secure, to to become solid, to become strong and steady and sure and steadfast. Can I encourage some young person or some adult here today to go ahead and make up your mind that you're going to be stable and be faithful to the house of God and to fulfill your call and to be pure to the marriage altar. Just go ahead and mark your line in the sand and say, I'm going to be stable for the things of God. Because I, can I say, we want you to excel. We want you to go far beyond your imagination. We want you to surpass us in doing for God. We want you to do well. We want you to go places in life. And can I say, God has such a wonderful life for each and every one of you if you'll just get to the place of being stable in living for Him. You understand the devil wants nothing more than for young people. He wants nothing more for you young people. He wants nothing more for us adults to be used as an illustration in some preacher's sermon about a young person that had all the potential in the world to do big things for God, but they were unstable. And now they are going nowhere. And their life is a complete mess. And I tell you, you don't have to be some illustration on the negative, but you can be an illustration of a young person that had everything against them, but they just went ahead and made up their mind. They're going to be stable and go forward for God. They're going to excel. You understand? Satan will paint you a pretty picture of living life for him. He'll show you all the bright lights and all the fancy cars and all the popularity of the world. Can I say, young men, he'll show you the pretty girls, but you mark it down the devil never shows you the whole picture he never shows you the eternal dangers that come along with living a life for him he doesn't show you getting hooked on drugs and breaking your family's heart he doesn't show you when you're vomiting your guts out because you got alcohol poisoning he doesn't show you getting scarred from living a life of sin and having to bear those scars for the rest of your life You understand, young girls, Satan only shows you one side of that young man that you think that's handsome and he woos you. But can I tell you, he doesn't show you the life of regret you'll have. I want you to hear me this morning. If you haven't heard me any this week, I I want some young people. Can I say, God, give us some adults today that will decide once and for all to live a life for God. And can I tell you, if we'll make up our mind and just say, I'm going to be stable in the things of God, can I tell you, God, give us such a wonderful life that we cannot even imagine. Amen. My friend, I'm going to tell you tonight, this morning, I believe with all my heart, I don't say this because of false humility. I say this because I mean it. I feel like I'm the least of the least here this morning. Brother Andrew, since salvation and since I sold out to serve God, I could not have sat down with a pen and paper and wrote the story that God allows me to live today. What a wonderful life it is when we just make up our mind that we're going to live for God. The Bible says, call unto me and I will answer thee. And show thee great mighty things which thou knowest not. In order to be able to go places in life, first of all, we've got to become stable. You say, well, Brother Dallas, how do I become stable? How do I excel in life? How do I go forward for God instead of staying in the same old rut? In order to find out how not to be unstable, 
we have to find out what the root problem of, of being unstable is. So this morning, turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 with me this morning. James chapter 1, verse number 8. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You see, a double-minded young lady is one who made a commitment to marry someone who their parents and their pastor and their youth director approves of. But then all of a sudden they begin to date that first boy that pays them some attention. You understand, young man, a double-minded young man is one that praises God on Sunday and cusses on Monday. A double-minded young person is one that sings in the teen choir this week and listens to rock and roll music the next week. You see, a double-minded young man is one that surrendered to preach last year, and this year they think they're God's gift to the youth department and won't even lead in prayer now. You understand, a double-minded adult is one that came down to an old-fashioned altar and made a public uh, profession uh, before the church that I'm going to be faithful to the house of God Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I'm going to be behind my preacher, and the next thing you know, there's nowhere to be found. A double-minded young man is one that dedicates themselves to read the Bible every day. And the next thing you know, they're hooked on pornography. A double-minded young lady is one that made a commitment at a youth conference like this to keep their purity to the marriage altar. And the next thing you hear, they're pregnant out of wedlock. A double-minded young lady is one that made a promise to dress like a lady according to the Bible this week. And what's pleasing to the Savior and the next, they're wearing the clothing of the world just to catch the eye of the opposite sex. Why do young people, why do adults become unstable? I'll tell you why. Because they're uh, being double-minded. And if a person is double-minded, the Bible says they're unstable in all their ways. And if you're unstable, the Bible says you're not going to excel. You're just going to stay in the same old rut. You're never going to do anything for God. Oh, you've got big plans. You've got big dreams. But my friend, until we get this problem of being double-minded taken care of, we'll never excel for God. And for the next few minutes, I want to preach on that subject on how to deal with being double-minded. Turn your Bibles this morning to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Most of you in this room this morning on Thursday morning revival service, most of us could probably quote this verse. We see it in a picture frame in homes all the time or on a rock in a, a flower garden. But I want you to look at the verse. Look what the Bible says. Joshua made his mind up. He drew his line in the sand. And he said in verse number 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day. I want you to look at this word. Whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we 
will serve the Lord. Did you see that word whom? It's not a what you will serve, but it's whom you will serve. And you will either serve the world, the flesh, or the devil, or you will serve the Lord. And can I say, young person, the first way to deal with this thing of being a double-minded, you've got to make up your mind once and for all, I'm not going to live for the world, the flesh, and the devil. But I've made my mind up. I'm going to live for the very God of heaven. Amen. The Bible says that we cannot serve two masters. Young people, you've got to make up your mind. Adults, we've got to make up our mind once and for all. We're going to serve God. We've said it this week that before we were saved by the grace of God, Satan was in an all-out attack for our soul. Now that we are saved, he lost the battle for our soul. That does not mean the devil has quit fighting. If you're saved this morning, the devil's not fighting for your soul. But he is fighting. He's fighting for our mind. And if he can get us knocked off kelter in our mind and get us to think about things and ponder on things and dwell on things that we shouldn't think about or ponder on, my friend, in reality, he's gotten victory over our mind. And child of God, we've got to make up our mind. We've got to draw the line in the sand in our mind and say, I'm serving God no matter who else does. I'll never forget when I was in Bible college I don't remember if it was a freshman or sophomore year of Bible college. There were some character issues that were going on, especially among the young men. To be completely transparent with you, I was part of that group that had some character flaws. Amen. And there were things that young men, some of them were not holding down jobs. And because they weren't holding down jobs, they weren't able to pay their bills. And they were breaking curfew. And I was into that all to an extent. And I remember either a freshman or sophomore year, the dean of students got up and he pretty, just, he pretty much just uh, put the rubber to the road and just preached a pretty hot and heavy message. And he said, he said if you're not serious about serving God, and instead of uh, bringing shame and reproach upon our Savior's name, instead of bringing honor and glory, he said, if you're not serious about serving God, go somewhere else and destroy the name of the Lord. But don't do it here in Bible college. And I remember after that chapel service, we went to a Bible class. And I remember sitting in that Bible class, and I remember that morning that six young men, as the, as the preacher was up teaching the class there that day, six young men got up from their desk in that Bible college class. They left their Bible on that desk. They walked out of that classroom, and they walked away from the will of God. They walked away from the call of God. And I've never heard from them again since, since that time, long, long time ago. Now I remember I got my eyes on that. I remember beginning to say to myself, some of those young men are preacher's sons. Some of those young men have grown up in Christian homes. Some of those men could preach circles around me. And if they can't make it, there's no way in the world that I'm going to be able to make it. I didn't have the luxury. Uh, I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't afforded uh, the opportunity to grow up in a Christian home. My daddy's not a preacher. Uh, I, I don't have the, uh, the things that they've been able to be given in their life. If they can't make it, there's no way in the world that I can make it. And I remember that next day, I just thought about that all night and all the next morning. And that next day, I was sitting in a Bible class. About halfway through that class, 
I excused myself from that class to walk out of that classroom and walk away from the call that God had placed on my life because if they couldn't make it, there's no way in the world that I could make it. But I thank God I had a preacher that loved me. Thank God I had a preacher that prayed for me and he cared for me. And I remember that next night he had gotten word that I was leaving Bible college and I was walking away from the call of God in my life. And I remember him coming knocking on my door. And I answered the door and I remember the preacher wasn't a very compassionate, oh, he, was he, he was very compassionate. He wasn't a very emotional person. He didn't, he didn't really see many tears from, that, from my preacher. But that night he sat there and he wept with me. And he begged me to come back to Bible college and to fulfill the call that God had placed on my life. And he began to show me from the scripture where Satan is the accuser of the brethren and how Satan will bring all the past up and Satan will bring this up and bring that up and he'll make you feel like that you can't go on for God. He, let, he prayed with me that night and I remember he left my house that night and I remember I tossed and turned all night long, didn't sleep at all that night and Somewhere about the breaking of the day, I began to walk the 96 acres there that the church and the college was on. And I remember right behind the Laverne Westmoreland uh, dormitory there in Walls, Mississippi. I knelt down at a tree stump there that day, Brother Andrew. And I made my mind up. And I confessed to God, God, I understand I may not have grown up in a Christian home and I understand my dad's not a pastor and I may not be able to preach as well as this one or that one, but by the grace of God, God, from this day forward, I'll never walk away from serving you. And can I say I made my mind up that day. I didn't care who else quit. I didn't care who else gave up. But from this day, I'm just going to go forward for God and I'm going to serve God. Can I tell you, there has to come a time in every one of our lives where we quit being double-minded when it comes to living and serving God. Turn our Bibles to John chapter 15. Not only do we have to make up our mind, but John chapter 15. Not only do we need to make up our mind, but number two, if we're going to stay faithful to God, just keep on going and being stable in this thing of serving God and living for God and bringing honor and glory to God. Number two, we're going to have to cleanse our mind. John chapter 15, verse number three, the Bible says this, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Young people, can I introduce you in something that will cause you to be stable in life? And as a consequence of being stable in life, it'll cause you to excel. It's called the never-changing Word of God, the Bible. Thank God the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. Thank God, my friend, this Bible right here will help cleanse our mind in this dirty, wicked world that we live in. Joshua said in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. 
Psalm 1, verses number 1 through 3, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And you understand, child of God, you understand young people, and every one of us adults here this morning, just like you and I need a physical bath every single day of our life, we need a spiritual bath every single day of our life when we come in contact with the washing of the water by the word. I think about Daniel. Daniel was a stable young man in a strange land. But the Bible says about Daniel that he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. Let's purpose in our heart today that we're going to dedicate ourselves to read this Bible every day and become single-minded about this thing of serving the Lord. That's why you and I need to come in contact with the Word of God every single day. Let the Bible claim victory over our mind instead of that good-for-nothing slew-foot Satan. Can we be reminded there's still power in this old black book, amen? It was this Bible that had power to convict our soul about salvation. I believe with all my heart this morning, it's this Bible that still has power to call young men to preach. It's this Bible that still has power to keep young people uh, with the right uh, relationship with their parents. It's this Bible that has power to keep you pure to the marriage altar. I believe with all my heart, it's this Bible right here that has power to give you convictions to dress right and look right. And my friend, thank God, it's this Bible. Bible that can bring revival to this nation that we live in. It's this Bible that will show you the real meaning of happiness. It's this Bible that will reveal God's will for your life. It's this Bible that will produce a fire in your heart and a zeal in your bones to live for God. If there's one statement you get this morning, I want you to get this statement. Not every one of us this morning. Any day that the child of God does not walk with God, you mark it down. You leave a wide open door in your life for Satan to enter in and wreak havoc in your life. And the day that you and I take off from walking with God, mark it down, the world, the flesh, and the devil do not take a day off and bring a temptation into our lives. First of all, Brother Dallas, how do I deal with this matter of being double-minded? Brother Dallas, there's times in my life where I've got one foot in the church house and one foot in the world. Can I say it doesn't work like that? One of these days you're going to choose one or the other. My friend, can I tell you, young people, can I tell you, adults alike, can I, we have too many casualties in this war. It's about time we just make up our mind. We just say, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to live for God and I'm going to go forward for God. One of the most encouraging things as an evangelist is to travel to churches and see a lost sinner walk the aisle and get saved by the grace of God. And the next week, Brother Martin, or the next year you go, or two or, two or three years you go after that, you'll see that Christian, that, that, that lost sinner that got saved two or three years before, two or three years later, you'll see them still serving God and living for God and going forward for God. 
one of the most discouraging things is to see families. One year they're on fire for God. Mama's singing in the choir. Daddy's taking up the offering. The young people are serving in the youth department. The next year you go to that same church. You're sitting on the platform and you whisper in the pastor's ear, where's this family or where that family is at? They say, oh, Brother Dallas. Brother Dallas, they fell into sin. They're a casualty. They're no longer living for the Lord. You want me to tell you where that starts? Being double-minded. Being unstable. First of all, if we're going to deal with this subject of being double-minded, first of all, we've got to make up our mind. Second of all, we've got to cleanse our mind. Third of all, turn your Bibles to Romans. Romans. Chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. Number three, if we're going to deal with being double-minded and just become single-minded, number one, we're going to have to make up our mind. Number two, we're going to have to cleanse our mind. Number three, we're going to have to renew our mind. We're going to have to renew our mind. Romans chapter 12, verse number one, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Look at verse number two. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You understand if we're going to be single-minded in this thing of living for the Lord and serving the Lord, we're going to have to renew our mind. We're going to have to reprogram our mind. You understand, adults, whatever bad you took out of your life when you got saved, if you don't replace it with something good, you mark it down. It'll be Eventually, you'll go back to that which is bad. You've got to replace the bad you take out of your life with something good. You, you say, well, Brother Dallas, I, I'm just not going to think about the bad I used to do. My friend, if you don't replace it with something good and positive, you're going to absolutely think about those bad things you took out, and eventually you'll be involved in the same old things. Can I say today, men, uh, maybe you're here this morning or you're watching a uh, live stream. Uh, maybe you used to have a problem with pornography. I'll tell you how you get rid of that pornography problem. Take that out and put the Bible in its place. I'll tell you how you quit listening to your rock music. Take that out and get you a CD of the Wolfram family. I'll tell you how how you get rid of those bad friends. Tell them you're not going to the parties. Tell them you're not going to go to the bars. Tell them you're going to be faithful to the house of God. They'll leave, my friend, and you'll get you a new set of friends at the house of God. You've got to renew your mind. You've got to take that out, which is bad, and replace it with something good. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Boy, I love this road map called the Bible. Helps us on our journey called the Christian life. Amen.
How to deal with being double-minded? First of all, we've got to make up our mind once and for all. I'm living for God. I'm serving God. You've got to cleanse your mind. And my friend, the only thing in this world that will cleanse us of our mind is this Bible right here. Amen? We've got to renew our mind. And number, th- number four, if we're going to be single-minded, Number four, we're going to have to find out what it is to guard our mind. 1 Peter 1, verse number 13 says this. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word gird means to protect. We've got to ask God to protect our mind. We've got to beg God to fix our mind upon godly things and upon heavenly things. The world, the flesh, and the devil are throwing all the fiery darts of hell at God's children like never before. My friend, if we think that we can be a, live a life that brings honor and glory to God without guarding our mind on a daily basis. You are a fool this morning. And my friend, every single day, I beg and I ask God, God, I ask you to allow me to crucify the flesh and be led by the Spirit of God. Every man in this room, every husband in this room would testify that you want the power of God upon your life. Every wife, every mama here this morning would stand up and say, Brother Dallas, I would love to have the power of God in my home and in my family. Can I tell you, my friend, Before there's a filling of the Spirit, there must be a fatality of self. And we have to find out what it is to die to this old flesh and realize this flesh wants nothing but to destroy. You understand there is no Geneva Convention when it comes to the flesh. The flesh doesn't fight fair. And the the, the flesh's ultimate goal is to bring destruction upon our lives. I've preached a few times youth meetings in the Bahamas. And it's kind of a mutual agreement between my wife and I. She goes over there to vacation and I go over there to work and we just get along together real good when it comes to that. Amen. I I don't like the sand. Fat guys, they sink in the sand. Amen. I don't like it. It's, It's hard for fat guys to walk in the sand. But I was preaching a youth meeting there some time ago and they had a question and answer time before I got up to preach with the Bahamian teenagers and I let them know. I said, I don't know. I don't know all the answers. Matter of fact, I don't even know most of the questions but I'll give it my best shot. And this young, clean, young Bahamian teenage boy, he said, Brother Dallas, he said, I'm saved. He said, I'm on my way to heaven. And he said, Brother Dallas, he said, I I really do want to live right. I want to live clean. I I want to live holy. 
He said, but Brother Dallas, uh, temptation still comes in my life. He said, at what given point in the Christian life will I be able to quit fighting temptation? And I said, son, I said, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck to you. I said, but the day you quit fighting temptation is the day that you stand before God in heaven. And I said, it's a constant battle every single day of our life. And we must find out what it is to let God be the captain of our salvation and lead us through this battle that we're going through in the flesh every single day. Well, if we're going to be single-minded and not double-minded, we're going to have to make up our mind. We're going to have to cleanse our mind. We're going to have to renew our mind. We're going to have to gird up our mind. And then turn your Bibles this morning to Philippians. Philippians in chapter number 2. Look at verse number 3 with me. The Bible says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let... This mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of the verses. This is talking about Christ. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. Paul said, lowliness of mind. If we're not going to be double-minded, but we're going to be single-minded once and for all, that we're going to live for God, we're going to bring honor to God, We're going to serve God. We've got to make up our mind. We've got to cleanse our mind. We've got to renew our mind. We've got to gird our mind. And lastly, we're going to have to come to God with a humble mind. If you and I ever get the victory over being double-minded and as a result become stable and go places, We're going to have to have some humility. We're not going to be able to go to God with the mindset of all that we've done. 
We're not going to be able to go to God with what our last name is or what position uh, we hold in the church or, or ha- how many uh, certificates I, I've got on my wall uh, for Christian service. No, my friend, we're going to have to go to God and realize that one day we were a hell-bound sinner. But thank God the grace and mercy of an almighty God came by my way, saved me by the grace of God. And I'm just thrilled that I get to serve him, my friend. We're not going to be able to go to God with this Uh, This problem of pride, amen. You ever thought about this? Smoking dope and drinking liquor and popping pills and carousing with the heathen is not what made Lucifer the son of the morning into Satan the father of night. It was this thing called pride. And if the God of heaven kicked one of his angels out of there and now he's in hell or he's walking among us and seeking whom he may devour but thank God one day he will be cast in that place called hell forever and ever. We're not going to be able to go to God and strut through our prayer closet like a peacock with our chest bowed out. No, we're going to have to go with some humility. And realize that we ought to be in hell this morning. But thank God not only did He save me, but He allows me to be able to serve Him. Jacob told Reuben, you're unstable. You're not going to excel. That was his last words to his son. You understand young people, Adults, those watching live stream, there's not one thing that's in this book that's inaccurate. Everything is true from cover to cover. God put that there for a reason to show you and I that the result of being unstable is you will not excel. You won't go forward. You'll just stay in the same old rut. The way to be to, to go places in life is just to be single-minded about this thing of serving God. My wife and I have been able to travel to many, many places. I forget, maybe it was Brother Wolfram that I was talking to. I know it was yesterday. And we were talking about just how since we surrendered our life to serve God, how God has taken us so many places. Before I got saved, I was telling Brother Wolfram this. Before I got saved, Brother Martin, I didn't go two hours in either direction from Memphis, Tennessee. Now that God saved me and He allows me to be able to serve Him, my wife and I have now been to 42 states here in America and overseas. Just get to serve God. There's many places that my wife and I love. We love Arizona. We love Colorado. I mean, we love, we, we, we love other areas uh, throughout the country. And there's places that we've wanted to go. And in these recent years, God's allowed us to be able to go to some of those places that were on our bucket list. But one place that we always wanted to go 
we always wanted to go to Washington, D.C. And the Lord allowed us to be able to go to Washington, D.C. a, a few years back. And there were some areas, that there were some places that we wanted to see during our tour of Washington, D.C. We wanted to see the Lincoln Memorial, and we were able to. We wanted to see the Washington Memorial, and we were able to. We wanted to see the Vietnam War and the World War II Memorial, and we were able to see all those places. But one place, Brother Wolfram, that we always wanted to see if we were going to Washington we wanted to see the tomb of the unknown soldier. And we were able to see that, and it's just a sight to behold. How many of you ever been there to the tomb of the unknown soldier? And as we were going through the, uh, the museum area that you go through before you get to the tomb of the unknown soldier, there was many unknown facts about the tomb of the unknown soldier that I certainly did not know about. For instance... The soldier that was guarding the tomb, they take 21 steps during their walk across the path because it alludes to the 21-gun salute, which is the highest honor that's given any military or foreign dignitary. Their return walk, before they come back across the tomb, their return walk is for the same reason, the 21-gun salute. The gloves that they wear on their hands, they're always moistened to prevent them losing the grip of the rifle. They always carry the, uh, carry the rifle, uh, the shoulder away from the tomb, and after their march across the path, they execute an about face and change positions of the rifle. They wait 21 seconds before they go back across uh, that uh, across the tomb. The guards that guard the tomb they change rotation every 30 minutes, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Each guard must commit two years of their life to guarding the tomb. Every guard that guards the tomb, they live in a barracks under the tomb and they, make a, they take a vow that they will not consume any type of alcohol for the duration of their commitment to guarding the tomb. They take a vow not to swear in public the rest of their lives and not to desecrate the uniform or the tomb in any way. For the first six months of duty... A guard cannot talk to anyone or watch any television program. All off-duty time is studying the 175 notable people laid to rest in Arlington National Cemetery. Every guard that guards the tomb, they spend five hours a day getting their uniform ready for guard duty. In 2003, some of you may remember this. In 2003, as Hurricane Isabel was approaching Washington, D.C., the ABC News reported that because of the high winds and fierce rain of the hurricane, the military members assigned the duty of guarding the tomb of the unknown soldier were given permission to suspend their assignment. They respectfully 
replied back, No way, sir. Soaked to the skin, marching in the hard rain of a hurricane. They said that guarding the tomb is not just an assignment, but it's the highest honor that can be afforded to an American service person. And I believe we ought to give honor where honor is due. And thank God for a strong military. And thank God for our men and ladies that are fighting the war overseas instead of here in America. But can I tell you, my friend, as much dedication and as much determination as those men give to a man that still lies in a tomb, you and I, as a child of God, ought to give much more dedication and much more determination to the one that does not live in the tomb anymore. Child of God, can we be reminded, we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today, no matter what men may say. Why would anyone be double-minded when it comes to living for the one that saved us from the eternal flame called hell? Why would anyone want to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church house and have two masters? No man can have two masters. Why would anyone deny reading the very book that was preached to them to bring conviction upon their heart and save them by the grace of God? Why would anyone let that let dust built upon that Bible. Can I say this morning, you know what your family needs? You know what my family needs? You know what this church needs? You know what my church needs? You know what America needs? America needs some children of God to say once and for all, I'm not going to be unstable. I'm not going to be double-minded. I'm not going to be one way at church and one way at home or on the job site. I'm just going to be single-minded when it comes to living for God. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed all across the building this morning. I wonder across this room this morning, many have already come to the altar, but I wonder if there's a young man or a young lady that's here today or an adult man or adult lady here this morning to say, Brother Dallas, to be completely honest, I've been double-minded in some of these areas that you brought out this morning. Brother Dallas, I cannot honestly raise my hand this morning that my mind is completely made up. I'm going to serve God. Oh, Brother Dallas, I may go for a little while, but, but then I go back to living for the flesh. But Brother Dallas, God has settled in my heart this morning. I'm making up my mind once and for all. I'm going to live and I'm going to serve God. Brother Dallas, 
I don't know what it is to cleanse my mind with the Word of God every day. Oh, maybe one day and then I skip three and then I'll come back and just read something just to check off a box. But for me to say that I actually read the Word of God to cleanse my mind and allow me to have mind fixed upon heavenly things and godly things, I can't say that. That Bible is not nearly as important to me as it needs to be or it should be. But the Dallas, for me to say that I gird up my mind, I guard my mind, and I don't let the flesh rule and reign my life, but I let the Spirit of God rule and reign my life, I cannot honestly say that. Brother Dallas, I've been unstable. And because of me being unstable, the definition is very true. I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't been close to God in a long, long time. I used to have the revival fires burning, but Brother Dallas, they're, they're just about put out in my life. And Brother Dallas, I'm, I'm ready to get those revival fires burning back in my heart this morning. If that's you at the pew or in your altar, at the altar this morning, I wonder if you just slip up your hand and say, Brother Dallas, I haven't been, I see that hand, I see those hands. I haven't been single-minded when it comes to living for God and serving God. God sees those hands. God sees those hands. Let's spend some time with the Lord this morning. I'm sure those that are making the meal wouldn't mind if we just did business with the Lord this morning. Can I say, young man, young lady in the youth department, that younger brother or sister needs you to be single-minded when it comes to living for God. This youth department needs you to be single-minded. As I read about the history of revivals across this land, many times I'm thrilled to see that those revivals were sparked because of some young person that got on fire for God. Let's stand all across the building this morning as the pianist begins to play. Won't you come? If God is speaking to your heart right here, right now about coming to the altar, why don't you lay whatever is holding you back to being single-minded at the altar and just do business with God. That first step is the hardest step. But just, just step out. Come to the altar. Leave it on the altar. Just make up your mind. I'm going to serve and I'm going to live for God. Young man, have you drawn the line in the sand? Young lady, have you drawn the line in the sand and say, I'm going to live for God, I'm going to serve God, I don't care what everybody else is doing, but I'm going to live for God. Young man, has God been dealing with your heart about this thing of preaching you sit there on Sunday you sit there in the youth department and you hear Brother Andrew you hear Brother Marshall preach and go back home and you're there by yourself and something going on in your heart and say man you're saying to yourself I, I sure would like to do that one day and God's saying to you I want you to do that someday but you're saying to yourself there's no way in the world that I could stand up there and preach like Brother Marshall or Brother Andrew. If God's placed a call in your life, God's not calling you to preach like Brother Andrew or Brother Marshall. God's calling you to preach 
like he wants you to preach. Young lady, have you drawn the line in the sand that you're going to stay pure to the marriage altar? Have you drawn the line in the sand that you're not going to dress to catch the eye of the opposite sex, but you're going to dress to bring honor and glory to God? Have we made our mind up that coming to church is not some extracurricular activity? It's my life. I don't look at my schedule and see when I can go to church. My life revolves around church, amen? I'm just going to schedule everything I do around church. Make up your mind. Cleanse your mind. Guard your mind. Renew your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. The lowliness of mind. Come with a humble spirit. Thank you, preacher.